The indie author revolution has been around for more than a decade, but we indies continue to push the boundaries of what we're capable of. From getting over initial prejudices to staring down perfectionism and author imposter syndrome, we've become a force to reckon with. Indie authors now wear more hats than ever as we strive to create a career full of meaning, prosperity, and potential. We've juggled the demands and continue to be rebels in the face of adversity. Now, after years of hearing the shouts of hustle and grind, we indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop, and in its place are the seeds of a better way to rapid release. A way that feels incredible as we build a sustainable, lifelong author career that not only increases our visibility and royalties, but it's all done with intention and ease. If you're ready to buck the system and become the visionary authorpreneur I know you're meant to be, you've come to the right place. I'm Carissa Andrews, international best-selling indie author, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Well, hi there, and welcome back to the Author Revolution Podcast. So, wow, we have a really fun episode for you today. I have Alicia Radis and Megan Linsky back on the podcast, but today we're going to talk about something we really haven't talked about a whole heck of a lot on this podcast, and that's audiobooks. Now, what's really interesting about audiobooks is it's a huge market that so many indie authors really aren't utilizing to the best of their ability. And in fact, as you're going to find out in this podcast episode interview, you're leaving money on the table if you are not actively seeking a way to get into the audiobook market. Just to give you an idea, the audiobook market in the US is a $2.67 billion industry right now, with an annual growth rate of 24.4% between now and 2027. So what they're saying in terms of size and growth is that Hypothetically, if the annual projected trends continue as they are, by 2027, it's going to be a $15 billion industry and one that is just going to continue to grow upward as we move forward in this technological digital era. What's really nice about audiobooks, at least in my opinion, is that the hard work really is kind of already done for you. The book is written. The content is there. And all you really need to do then is take this one object that you've already poured your heart and soul into and transform it into something new. We talk a lot on the podcast about the different ways you can go about doing audiobooks, whether you are hiring out actors, whether you are doing it yourself, whether you're doing AI narration, we go into all of it. But what I want you to know is no matter how you choose to do this, no matter how you choose to enter into the audiobook realm, it can be done at every price point. It can be done as long as you'd make that deliberate decision to move forward, knowing that your books are worth it. And now that's kind of a deeper conversation that Alicia and I will have about mindset because it truly is a mindset issue. If you don't believe your books are worthy of being in an audiobook, are worthy of investing in, are worthy of expanding into a much larger arena, then you're gonna have some troubles getting into this particular market space. But here's the thing. Your books, once you hit that publish button, they now become a product. They're not just your awesome story. They're not just your imagination come to life on paper. This is a marketable product that you can earn money from and you should earn money from. And as we discuss also, when you do better, when you are bringing in more income, when you are supporting yourself with your creativity and your writing, you now have the opportunity to support others in this industry who may not even have the chance to do anything without your support. Megan talks a lot about how she has made it her mission to help new audio narrators when she's doing her audiobooks because she felt when she was getting into the industry, not a whole lot of people held their hand out to help support her. And she doesn't want to be that person. She's going to reach out to as many new audiobook narrators as possible to give them that leverage up, right? And we get to do all of these fun things as authors because we can support audiobook narrators, cover designers, people who do layouts. There's so many different people you can hire into your business that can then support themselves doing what they love to do. And it's all about 
this network of support that I think indie authorship is so good at doing. But it all starts somewhere. And that usually is you believing it's possible, right? (laughs) Now, for me, you're going to hear on the podcast as well. I do my own audiobooks. And the reason I do that is because I love the process of it. One of the things that I don't really overly enjoy is staying in one particular creative realm, and that's it. So there are plenty of authors out there who can just, you know, write stories every single day, nonstop until they die. I am not one of those people. I need to kind of hop around between designing my covers because that satiates that creative part of me that wants something visual. I like the, obviously, the writing part of it because now my imagination's engaged and I get to play around with words. But I also love using my voice. I found using this podcast, actually, how incorporating my voice is something that soothes a different part of me. And so I like the audio narration aspect. I like being able to describe to you in the way that I hear it in my head, the way that the story comes out, right? Where if I hired someone, and perhaps down the road, that's going to be a thing, maybe I'll have a full cast who does things at a certain point in time. But right now, I just, I love that aspect. And I don't think that there's another single narrator out there who could do it the same way I do. And so part of the process for me is that I just love incorporating that into my particular business. Regardless of where you are in your audiobook journey, whether you have created an audiobook or two, whether you have plenty of them, whether you are just starting out and you're wondering how in the world do you get this thing started? We have you covered. I want you to know that this is such a creative and wonderful time to get into this industry and it's only growing. So don't feel like you've missed the boat and don't feel like it's this overwhelming process either. Take things one step at a time, just like Megan and Alicia are talking about in this podcast episode. You're going to hear they're not fully where they want to be yet either, but they are earning a lot of money doing exactly what they're doing right now. All right. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast interview. Well, Alicia, Megan, you're back on the podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Thanks for joining us. I mentioned in the introduction a little bit about why you guys are back so soon, because um, obviously you are masters of audiobook creation and getting your books out there in audiobook format. So because you're such rock stars, can you tell my audience a little bit about how you first got started in audiobook production? Yeah, so this is Alicia talking. I am the one who got into audio first. So I produced my first series around 2016 into 2017, and I did it through ACX as a per finished hour deal. They sold a little bit, but it was only like $60 to $100 per month. And so I didn't really think that audio was worth it at the time because it it just wasn't making me a lot of money. So when I did my second series, I did it royalty share because I just didn't feel like I had the budget to invest in something that wasn't going to have a decent return. But I was also certain this second series was going to outsell the first. So I'm like, it'll be worth it to the narrator. But spoiler alert, that was like a limiting belief. I could have afforded it if I wanted to, and I just didn't believe in it. So Fast forward to 2019, Megan and I had started co-writing at the time, and we had manifested a traditional audiobook contract, and we talked about that in our last episode. Around this time, we were tuning into our intuition, and I kept getting this feeling like I should take my audiobooks wide. So we didn't know pretty much anyone doing wide audiobooks at the time, and so we didn't know if it was going to work. But we decided that I would take my solo titles and use it as an experiment. So I went wide in the beginning of 2020 with that first series that I had paid for the rights for. They didn't do much at first, but we kept getting this feeling like we need to be investing in audio. So in 2020, Megan and I both started putting our backlist titles into audio. I had a series that wasn't selling an ebook hardly at all. On a good month, I was maybe making $150 a month on on the eBooks for that series, but I took a chance on it. I invested in the audio and it started making me a couple hundred dollars a month just in audio. So after I took my books wide, after we started kind of investing in our backlist, it took about a year before 
my audio at least I don't know about Megan she can talk about hers but it took about a year before my audio started gaining traction on wide retailers I broke four figures per month and that just kept going up and now it's two-thirds of my income so we so amazing we saw the potential that our audiobooks could have so we bought the rights back from our publisher again we talked about that in the last episode but just briefly the publisher wasn't really working with us to market our audiobook. But from what I had done with my own, I saw that we could market our audiobooks ourselves. So we bought the rights back. And then I also bought the right back from that royalty share deal so that I could take the audiobooks wide because you can't, you have to be exclusive through ACX if you do royalty share. So I bought the rights back to that. Now uh, by, I think it was 2021, this was last year. Now we have the rights to all of our books. And when we bought the rights back from that traditional contract, uh, we started making four figures per month just on that series in audio. I don't remember the data exactly, but I think it was pretty immediate. And so it's been a long process. It took quite a few leaps of faith. We didn't know if any of this would pay off, but I'm really glad that we started when we did because we're in a much better position now. And it's something we've become very passionate about, especially the kinds of books we write. We talked about in our last episode how we write about disability and mental illness. And so we want to be available to as many readers as possible and accessible to people who can't read our ebooks or our print books. So that's been really important to us. And to see that payoff allows us to continue doing that. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I love, I love that concept too, that for you, the nudge to move forward with audiobooks was really that internal nudge at first. And I think that's so, so important for people to hear too, because sometimes we get those nudges and we're like, that's dumb. Like no one's doing it this way. Or, you know, like we, we second guess ourselves and we have those limiting beliefs of I can't afford this, like you had said, or, you know, whatever. And it's so important, like when we get those nudges, those internal nudges to try something new or to do something no one else has done yet, to trust that that's internal guidance that's guiding you in the right direction. I think that's so cool that you guys went ahead and did that. Megan, how was it for you like to, to start the audiobook thing? Were you keen to go straight, straight ahead and, and try this thing? Or were you just really kind of watching to see how Alicia's books did first? So I've only been in audiobooks for two years. And they make up 50% of my income and they're climbing every month. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I've had a lot of success in audio that I didn't really expect because Alicia started doing audio way before me, like very many years. And I didn't really understand why she was doing it because audio is expensive to produce. And it does take time, time that I thought was taking away from writing. And I didn't understand why I would produce an audio book when I could just write another book and publish something else. Well, I realized through that process that if you expand your products, even though it's still only one book, you pretty much quadruple the potential for that product. Right. So I didn't end up getting into audiobooks until a publisher reached out to us and asked to produce the fire prophecy for us. And I thought, well, it's free. (laughs) We're not investing any money in it. So why not? And it wasn't until they produced the first three books in the series that I really saw the potential for audio. We had a lot of fans coming in that were strictly audiobook readers. And I realized that this was an opportunity that I was just leaving on the table. So I decided to start producing my own audiobooks. And through that, I ended up making up a huge gap that was, I didn't even realize the potential that could be found in audio. I understand that completely. I think a lot of authors really don't understand the potential of the extra versions of the thing that they've already done, whether it be paperbacks or hardcovers or audiobooks. I know so many authors who are publishing only ebooks and it's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Get the, at least get the paperback out there. <laughs> like go, like there's so much possibility here. I was going to say there are authors who make the majority of income off of paperback. They don't even sell that many ebooks. And that's just mind blowing to me. Yeah, because I couldn't fathom that kind of, you know, success off of paperback books, but it is possible. And it is really no one to actually, you know, do the thing. Right. I sell a lot of paperback books, especially 
like October, November, December, all of a sudden my paperbacks like go off the charts and my eBooks start floundering. It's like, what's happening here? But it's, it is because people are buying gifts. They're getting ready to, to do things. And if they loved your books, they want to share them with their friends or their family. So it just makes sense that that would be the case too. Yeah. I was just going to say there's so many opportunities. And I think as indie authors, we get focused on the eBooks because that's obviously very easy. It's very cheap. I mean, you don't really have to pay anything to go into ebook. And we see a lot of people doing really well in ebook. But for us, ebook always felt like an uphill battle, like spending so much on ads. And it just, it felt like we were trying so hard to make it work. And audio for us has been honestly, like just so easy. It's one of those things like you're in the flow with us, but that's not going to be the case for everyone, obviously. So it's, you got to find what feels good for you. And for us, that's audio. That is so amazing. So do either of you narrate your books or do you do the, the audiobook sharing to get narrators into the, the process? We hire audio narrators. We've never done anything ourselves. And honestly, I would not feel comfortable doing that. I know you do that. Yeah. Well, like have the podcast, you're, you have a wonderful voice. I don't think I would be comfortable doing that. So we do hire narrators. Gotcha. It's a lot of fun. It does take a little bit of work to, to get the, the courage up. I know like my first narrated book, Pandamas, if you listen to it, I would cringe because I'm like, it, I was so scared reading that stupid book in 2018. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm talking really fast, but I can't not talk fast. It was terrible. But I think I've gotten a little better. <laughs> what were you going to say, Megan? I was going to say, I would love to produce an audiobook of my own one day. But I'm not quite there yet. I don't know anything about audio production. I would really love to make an audiobook musical. Those are, Ooh, those are really cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely yeah. a project of mine that I would love to do. But oh, right that just now, sounds fun, doesn't it? I think it's so cool that there's so many options with audio as well. I mean, you could do the AI narration through Google or through other programs. You can do yourself. You can obviously hire someone to do the narration or you can have that full cast. It's like, and you can sell each one of those differently. You have the rights to those books. So you could have five different audiobooks if you really wanted to at five different price points to let all of the, the readers, you know, pick and choose what version of that same story they wanted. I mean, there's so, so much possibility in it. It's just really neat. You know, I, I had notes to kind of talk about this later, but why don't we talk about it now since you brought it up? Sure. So there's so many different ways that you can get into audio. And I thought it'd be cool if we talked about them. So absolutely, like the first one, what we do is we go, we pay per finished hour. So that means that we're hiring the narrators on a work for hire contract and we pay them a it's mostly a flat fee, but it depends on how long the audiobook ends up being. So once they're paid, they're paid, they don't get further royalties, and we own the rights to do whatever you want. We can go exclusive with Audible, or we can go through Find a Way. We can, and, and Find a Way distributes wide. And we can, we've done serial apps. We just started doing that a couple of months ago. And we are now um, going to be experimenting with putting our, audiobooks on YouTube and monetizing them. That's something that's we can't really talk about yet because we don't have data because we have we haven't reached the ability to monetize. You need a thousand subscribers. Yep. That's one way. You can also do royalty share, which means that you're not paying the narrator up front. You split the royalties with them. We have not done that through Find a Way. I know Find a Way has an option to do that. So you can do that and go wide, but you have to be with Find a Way. Um, I have done that with ACX. And when you do that, ACX uh, distributes to Audible. And so you have to be exclusive there. You can also do Royalty Share Plus, which is where you give the narrators a smaller amount of money up front. It's also based per hour. And then they also get the royalty split. The benefit to that is you, you'll probably get better talent that way because royalty share without any upfront payment is very, it's a huge risk to the narrators. So it's getting a little harder to find narrators that way, but it's still an option. I would just say, put your audiobook up for an audition and see what you get. You can also distribute wide. You can be exclusive. 
you can also sign with a publisher like we did back in the day. Another thing is running a Kickstarter to raise the funds to pay upfront. That's a good I've point. Seen, I've seen several um, Kickstarters recently that have funded successfully, and now they're going on to sell or to produce their audiobook, and they basically pre-sold it to their fans. And I've seen people without a big fan base raise over $3,000 because the people on Kickstarter who browse Kickstarter want to see these projects come to life. Let's see what else. You mentioned AI narration. We haven't gotten into that yet because we do hire narrators. So we already have the audiobook option there. I think but it works the- a little bit better for like the nonfiction side too right now. I don't think it's quite up to speed for mm-hmm. fiction, but you never know. I mean, it, it might be okay. But that's an option if you don't want to pay for it. Absolutely. I can't talk a lot on that because we haven't done it, but sure. Um, I'm, pr- I know you can distribute to Google play and then you can also take the files and put them on YouTube. I'm not a hundred percent sure what other platforms allow AI. I think Kobo, but don't quote me on that. So not every, you can't take AI everywhere. Like audible sure. doesn't allow AI yet, but okay. it is an income stream on other platforms. For sure. What else do we have? Uh, narrating the audiobooks yourself, which you do. So there's a lot of options. And I think people get really scared because they're like, oh, it's so expensive because I have to pay upfront and I don't know if it'll pay off. But you have to start somewhere, right? For sure. So I would suggest if you can't start paying upfront because you don't have the budget, try one of these other options just to start somewhere because. That's what we did. We had to build up to where we're at now to be able to pay upfront on every audiobook, but that's not where we started. So that's amazing. You know, and you were talking about Kickstarter as an option. I know that there's lots of grant programs that are out there too for artists. So if you look around your area for grant opportunities for artists, we have one in our local community and I've done grants multiple times, you know, just to get new computers or new equipment if I was not at the point of being able to get them myself. But you can do it for editing. You could do it for conferences. Like I'm going to the 20 Books Conference. There's all sorts of ways that grants can help authors. And I think sometimes we forget that we're artists. So when they say like an art grant, you know, it, it includes us guys. <laughs> so if you need funds, you know, check around and see what kind of grants are available for you because narration for your audiobook would be a, a great opportunity to expand into a new area. So I think that's great. Okay, so you mentioned briefly about um, how you produce your audiobooks that you've gone through ACX and find a way. You mentioned serialization. So are there serialized audiobook places that you can also produce your your books and publish them at? I don't know a lot about that, so I can't talk about that. But what we did is just took the audiobooks we already have and uploaded them to the app. So also find a way distributes to Radish, which is a serial app um they don't take everything but they'll pick and choose um which audiobooks to put up megan did you have anything to add about like the ways that we produce audio or other ways that other people can get into audio well for me it's really important to hire narrators over ai i understand that there are reasons why people use ai and use ai narrators but for me I really like using actual people because the inflection that you get from their voice, because I consider audiobooks acting. I consider them a different version of entertainment that is more similar to a film than it is to an actual book. And because of that, I hire narrators who are more actors than actual narrators. Now, this is like a different type of opinion for different people. Some readers really want just a plain, straightforward narrator. Some readers really want the actor. I want the big show because I feel like my writing is like that. I have the big dramatic writing. I have, you know, the overstatement of words and the ridiculous scenes. And because of that, I want my narration to match up with the way I write. So that's really important to me. So when you're considering hiring a narrator versus using AI, you really need to decide what's my writing style and who's going to be able to vocalize that writing style in the best way. If you write in a very robotic kind of way and a very straightforward kind of way, which is what nonfiction usually is, 
you might want to go with an AI narrator. But if you're somebody like me, who's really has to have the big passionate boom, <laughs> you want to go with a really good actor. So it's not just, you know, cut and dry, who can you afford versus who you can't. It's more of who's going to tell the best story and the way that you envision it. I love that. And it kind of goes back to that manifestation too. Like when you know what you want and you start to go after it, then you can have it. It's just that you need to make that decision for yourself, like which which version feels good and not necessarily like, I can't afford that because that's just a limiting belief you need to disprove. You need to decide what you want and then go moving confidently into those directions. I like yeah. that. You can always change your mind too. Like if you start with AI, you can go hire someone later on. You don't have to stick with it. Absolutely. So obviously the two of you are earning really well with your audiobooks. So my question might be a little bit funny because I'm like, um, do you think audiobooks can earn authors money and is it worth it? Which I think you've pretty much described yes already, but for authors who haven't dipped their toes into it, what would you say about like whether or not you can earn money and whether or not it's worth it? Obviously, from our experience, I'm going to say, yes, you can. And I'm also going to add that we weren't making an insane amount of money on ebooks. We were, I mean, we make a decent amount, um, but we would not be where we are without audio. So you don't have to have this really great selling series in order to get into audio. You can start at any time. That said, we're all going to have different experiences. So like I was saying before, follow what feels good for you. If that's print, maybe go with that. For us, that was audio. And if that feels good for you, I say go after it. What I want people to take from our experience is you don't have to be in a specific place or even use a specific method to get into audio. There's so many options available and it's really all in your mindset. As far as like mindset, one of the things I hear people say is like, don't get into audio until your ebooks are making six figures. We would not be six figure authors without our audio. So I completely disagree with that. I think that's so true. It's like, it, I think people who are earning a lot are going to obviously say that because if they went a, a different route for them, the experience was I earned a lot of money here. And then when I did audio, it exploded even more but they don't think that you can have it be a different way. Like you can start to explode through your audiobooks and then it expands into the other, you know, the ebook and the, the paperback or the whatever. Like there's always those entry points and every entry point is going to be just slightly different for the readers. And you don't know which reader is going to take that book and go, oh my gosh, this was the greatest thing ever and turn around and give it to a friend who is an influencer or who is a, you know, someone who's vocal and like spreads the news. So it's, it's like, it's always just eggs in baskets and making sure that you are following those internal nudges. I love that. Well, we've had people who have found us through our audiobooks and then go on to buy the ebooks and the print books and just buy every format because they right? love it so much. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that where I've I started with an ebook and I've gone, oh my gosh, I need this in paperback. It's so great. But then you, you're like, okay, I want to hear the narration for this because this, this was such a, an epic book. And then I'll buy that too, because why not? You know what I mean? I completely, I'm one of those people. But that's me. <laughs> so it happens. Absolutely. Okay. So since you're doing so well with it, do you have any specific marketing strategies for new authors or even authors who have already produced audiobooks? I know I'm one of them where it's like, I produce it. I obviously let my audience know about it, but then I kind of go on to the next thing because I'm always in that content creation mode. But what marketing strategies would you suggest to authors who are dabbling into um, audiobooks or would like to expand further? I would say that for us, it's kind of like a complete cohesive experience between everything that we do. So when we are promoting our eBooks, it also gives exposure to our audiobooks. For example, every time we have a BookBub, I can see that spike in our audio sales. We don't do a lot that's different from our audio, or sorry, from our eBooks. We are completely wide with eBook and audio. So I do think that helps, again, because promoting the ebooks promotes audio. We also run sales on our audiobooks when we can. And that was really one of the things that made me want to go wide because you cannot control your prices on Audible. And yep. so being wide, being through Find a Way, we are able to run sales. We can 
um, apply for chirp deals. So if you don't know what chirp is, that is BookBub's audio distributor. So it's part it's part of the BookBub company, but it's you buy the audiobooks directly from the chirp website. And so they'll run deals specifically on their website for their readers. And those usually make me personally a couple hundred dollars. Findaway also puts out quarterly marketing opportunities on their blogs. So we apply for those. So for example, right now, um, a couple of weeks ago, they put out a call for Black Friday deals and we just filled out a form and they'll handle the pricing with that. They also have a marketing tab where you can run occasional sales on specific platforms, not everywhere, but I believe they do Google Play, Apple, and Chirp. There might be a couple others they've added. Another thing we do is we bundle our series into audio box sets, and that gives readers just a little bit of a discount on the books when they buy them as a, as a complete series. And the last thing that has really, really helped us is having a large backlist. So that allows us to rotate through promotions. That's and then that's I'll really let Megan talk about how she markets her audiobook. All right, Megan, you're up. How do you market? Our most effective strategy is to get our audiobooks into the hands of as many people as possible. So we're always rotating sales and we're always trying to reach people on new platforms. So even if we don't necessarily know if a platform is going to work, we always try to at least upload it and attempt promotion there to see what kind of readership we're going to get there. I particularly like to advocate a lot for library borrows because there's a lot of people who don't know you can listen to audiobooks for free through your local library. And we do get a significant chunk of library sales. So I think that just letting readers know that even if you can't afford a $30 audiobook, there's a potential for you to listen to it through your local library. And we will get the profits from that library borrow as well. So there's more than just one avenue to do things. And I think that's important when you're considering audio because there are so many authors who will just strictly upload to Audible so they can get the boost in income that audio gives them, that Audible gives them specifically. And I personally think that that might be a mistake for some people because even though you're getting a bigger chunk of money from Audible, you are eliminating a bunch of different platforms as well as libraries. Absolutely. Are you talking about if they use the bounty link? If you upload to Audible exclusively, mm-hmm. because there's an exclusive agreement, like it is with KDP. Yep. yep. So I was going to say, I believe it's you get 40% royalties if you're exclusive with Audible, and then you get 25 if you're non-exclusive. So you do, do get a bit of a boost on those sales. Gotcha. That's helpful. It's helpful for authors to know, too, that there is a dis, uh, distinct difference between going wide and going exclusive. But I've also found that, so I, when I first started doing audiobooks, I was um, ACX exclusive, but I found that it was just not getting out as far as I wanted to. And so when Findaway started coming onto the scene, I think a little bit more, it was probably around 2019, 20, yeah, 2019, 2020, when I was first like, you know what, this looks like it might be a better situation. And I know BookBub was starting to really push Chirp at that time. And so for me, I've transitioned, I've left my books um, that were already on ACX there, but I broke my exclusivity agreement because of that whole like audiobook returns situation that was going on. They gave us an option to opt out. So I did that. And so the, those audiobooks are still wide, but they're not. So I don't use Findaway to distribute to Audible. But I found that Findaway is just, it's such a cool platform because of how it reaches. Like you were saying, Megan, that libraries, I have so many people who are listening to my audiobooks through library borrows and I love being able to put like my first in series down for free for a month just to like get new readership into the series and have that influx and then be able to put it back up where you can't do that through ACX. So do you guys ever do that where you lower the price just for a short period of time and then raise it back up? Not necessarily through the promotion app of things, but just to try putting it down to free for a bit. Yeah, I'll let Megan answer because I think she had more to talk about on that. Sure. So we definitely do a lot of sales on our audiobooks. We've attempted free. Uh, we cycle through different books. And we really find that the key is get the first audiobook in the series into the hands of people, whether that be a 99 cent deal. I have a 99 cent deal running right now for my box set. It's a, I think it's like a $40 box set because the book is so long. It's like 60 hours. And 
you know, people would think I'm crazy for dropping it to 99 cents. But the key is I have three books in that series. If I can get people into that series, they will buy the next three books in the series and potentially go on to read the whole universe. So I'm taking a loss on that product by potentially offering it for 99 cents or free for a limited time. But it doesn't matter because ultimately I am gaining the fan. And if I can gain a lifelong fan, it is worth losing that profit. Absolutely. I've played around with free for like twice now. I have my first in series for the Windhaven books is free right now just for a short period of time. But the first time I did it, it was a test just to see what would happen. And it was interesting to me to see how it went more from like the library borrows and things like that to now all of a sudden a lot more people downloading through the the bigger retailers like Apple and Barnes & Noble and Kobo, where it wasn't as prominent, that series wasn't as prominent before I put it up for free for a bit. And so I think that's a, it's still a good strategy. I know it used to work really well with eBooks and I don't know how effective it is anymore. I mean, I'm sure it still is a little bit, but you really have to, I think, hook the readers to the point where they're going to actually open that free book because many of us have so many books on our Kindle and we're like, which one do we want now? I don't know. But audiobooks feel a little different to me. Like you, if you're going to download an audiobook, it's because you're looking for something that you want to start experiencing right now. Don't you think? Well, there's different readers on different platforms and they act and behave differently. Somebody on Amazon might hoard free books, but I, we've really found the people on Apple, they really like free books. They really like sales and they are more likely to finish the book and go on to buy more in the series than somebody on Amazon because People on Amazon, a lot of them are through KDP and they're trained to get books for free all the time. So they don't sure. think it's that special. They are trained to buy books that are set at a higher price or more expensive or more exclusive. So we really find it important to push avenues that aren't just Amazon. Absolutely. So if you can offer a book on Apple that's free, those readers are more potentially able to pick it up and continue on than somebody on Amazon. For sure. And they'll find it too. So even if you don't push it out that far, like for me, I, I literally only did a couple of promotions through social media, wasn't a boosted post or anything, and then put it in my newsletter. And that was it. And that was enough to, t- to let it take off. And it garnered hundreds of dollars worth of sales that I was not even anticipating. Like this was just like a, let's just see what happens when I do this thing. And all of a sudden I was like, that's really cool. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It's it's fun when that happens where you're just, it's an experiment and it works out well. It's like, that was sweet. Okay. So guys, what kind of audiobook strategy would you give to authors who are new, who have never produced an audiobook before, but are, are really excited to give it a try? Like what, what would you recommend as their first steps to get started? So I'm going to say what I believe works for us, but if you are a new author, it may not be feasible for you. So always go with your own intuition. But the best option for us has been to hire narrators ourselves and to pay per finished hours so that we own the right and that we have the flexibility to experiment with covers and pricing and distribution. So to do that, what we personally do is if we don't already have the narrators picked out, we host an audition on ACX. And then we, if it's a single narrator, we will hire them through ACX and choose non-exclusive distribution and then take those files to find a way. Or we also can upload direct through Kobo or any other platforms like YouTube. We can take those files as long as we choose to be non-exclusive. For our dual narration projects, we have found, and dual narration means there's two narrators. Personally, we do every other chapter for those narrators. So we've found our narrators on ACX or through recommendations, or even I, I don't know specifically for our dual narration, but we have had some narrators where we hired them for multiple projects. So we didn't have to host auditions again, but we will hire them outside of ACX because there's no ability to hire, hire two narrators at once unless they are working together as one single production company. So we will hire them, uh, we'll sign the contract through email and then they'll deliver their files through email and we upload as a do-it-yourself project. So it depends on what your project looks like, kind of on where to start. I'll also say that Findaway has options for finding narrators. We haven't used that option yet, so I can't really speak to that but it is available to you. And then 
you can also just ask around and see what narrators, other authors suggest. And then also just like looking at what other authors in your job, who they're hiring can be helpful. We've done that before as well. And then we just approached the narrator or narrators and asked them, you know, do you want to work on our project? So basically it's just, you start by contacting narrators and that can be through auditions or reaching out directly. That's great. Now you mentioned real quick that they, you know, they give you the file. So I'm assuming that when you hire them, they send you the file already edited and mastered. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, great. Now, do you guys use audiobook proofers? I know my PA Jenny does a lot of that kind of work for other authors. So I'm just curious to know if you guys use proofers then since you're not narrating yourselves or. We have never done that yet. It's something that would definitely take some work off our plates, but we like to be involved in the process, especially with we write fantasy. So there's a lot of made up words and sure. kind of like being involved in the process to make sure those are pronounced correctly or that I think it's for me personally, it's hard to hand that over because I have a specific way that I kind of want my story told. Now I'm not really picky. I'm not like sending back edits all the time, but sometimes it's like this was accented wrong and, and we lost the meaning to this sentence. So that doesn't happen that often, but I do like to catch that kind of thing. That's cool. I'll give Megan a chance to talk. I've been talking so much. So (laughs) you can answer this question. Megan, do you like proofing your own audiobooks as well? I love proofing my own audiobooks. I do not think I could give the task to a different person because that is really important to me to be able to listen to the whole product and see if it's being said the way that I need it to be said. And if things are being spoken in the way that I imagine them as I'm writing them. As for us and myself, I guess we kind of both have the same philosophy on the hiring narrators. We pay our narrators based on a scale of what they request is their per finish hour rate and is the budget we set for the series. And we're willing to pay more depending on how well they fit the character. We are most interested in hiring new talent and helping new new narrators build a name within the industry because I know myself, a lot of people didn't give me a chance when I was first starting out. I had a lot of rejections and I basically had to pave my own way and pound on the door and refuse to go away until they let me in. So I, I know that it. feeling of not, <laughs> not being able to it. get any work. Yeah. So I think that's so great. I really like hiring. Thank you. <laughs> I really like hiring people who are new to the industry and who haven't really done an audiobook before because it's so much more important to us to hire the right actor for the character than it is to have a big name. There's a lot of authors who say that you can't make money off of audiobooks unless you have a big name narrator and I don't think that's true because for us we haven't noticed a difference in profit. We've used narrators who have gigantic backlists and we use, we've used narrators who've never done an audiobook before and the profit for us is the exact same. I love it. We don't know. I'm going to add to that is that you don't know where those narrators, how big they're going to be eventually. Um, on that series that I did royalty share, I was one of the first series that Natalie Nottis did. And if you don't know who Natalie Nottis is, she's very big now. She's done like YA fantasy. She's done a lot of stuff actually. And she also narrates under the uh, stage name Victoria May, but she's done stuff for like Victoria Aveyard and like big traditional authors. And so you just don't know like how big their career is going to get. I think authors forget that we're entrepreneurs and like when you earn more, when you're able to invest more into your own products, into your own platform, into everything, you're now having the ability to hire people who then could be, you know, risen up because of your efforts. It's like, it's such a a cool way to look at like how our lives, how would we do better? We can help others do better. And that can continue onward and and expand outward. It's, you know, we kind of get, I think a lot of authors get stuck in this scarcity mindset and forget that like, you have big things to do. You have people to help. Like, let's do this thing, you know? Well, you talk so Absolutely. much about the millionaire author destiny and 
I think one of the reasons we want to be millionaire authors is to give back to people. Right. And so for Megan and I, like she talked about, she wants to give new narrator. Like she doesn't want to use AI because she wants to give narrators an opportunity to have a job. And I just love this idea of creating jobs for people. And I really want to get to a point where our audio allows us to pay more and more and more and give the narrators that we already work with huge raises. Like I would love to do that because they're so such wonderful people and such wonderful actors. And I like, I would just love to like give them a full time job narrating for us or, or something like that. It makes me really happy to think about creating jobs for other people. I do too. I, for me, it's like, it, it filters to everything. Like, you know, the PA is the, the, the covered designers, the promotion experts. If you want to hire like a promotion company, like all the different ways that we as authors, I know we're kind of getting off the audiobook a little bit, but it's so cool how we can impact others' lives. And we think, you know, when we're writing these books and we're solo in our little computer or whatever, and we're writing this stuff, we think we're by ourselves, but we have this ability to impact so much further. And I, I think it's just audiobooks are just one more way that we have that opportunity to touch more lives, whether it be the reader's lives or the people who are narrating and involved in the projects. It's so cool. I think we as authors need to help build other opportunities for people and lift as we climb. To me, it's really important to have a relationship with my narrators. I don't just want to hire somebody who views this as a job and just wants to take a paycheck home at the end of the day. I want to have a close working relationship with the people I hire because I want somebody on my project who cares about my project. Because if they care about it, they are going to do work that is so much more phenomenal than somebody who is just showing up to basically get paid at the end of the day. Yeah, because they're going to be invested. They're going to they're going to want a piece of them in that story. And I think that's really cool right. too. I think we've gone through a lot of narrators. We've, I think we've had over 20 narrators by now because we just have so many different projects and so many different books between the two of us, Alicia and I. And a lot of the people we seem to pick up, <laughs> we pick them up as newbies and then they go on to have these big careers. Like one of my narrators no longer works for me anymore because she got a contract with Funimation, which I don't know if anybody on this podcast knows what Funimation is, but it's a huge anime corporation in Japan and they produce all the yeah it's it's huge and it's amazing and we want to be able to do that for all of our people that is too cool I love that so much (laughs) well is there any other advice or anything else that you guys want to share about audiobooks with my audience that we haven't covered so far I would love to talk about mindset of audio like we touched on it a little bit but I just think there's so much so many stories that we tell ourselves, especially about audio, that it's too expensive and that you need to wait until you're at this certain point. And all these things that I think just hold us back. And so, I don't know, I kind of covered some of it. I would love to hear more from Megan because she, I know that like she didn't get into audio as early as I did. And I think that she had some of those beliefs holding her back. So I kind of want to hear from her what, like how her beliefs have changed. I am very interested in the same. (laughs) Megan, you have the floor. I think before I got into audio, there were a million excuses I made as to why I didn't get into audio. And I, looking back, I really regret not getting into audio sooner. Because early on in my career, I know I didn't necessarily have a lot of money. I was struggling to pay for covers, let alone audiobooks. But I really think if I had started earlier, my earning potential would have been so much bigger because it's a long game with a long process. I have a giant backlist of over 50 books and only 25%, not even 25%, I don't even know, like less than 20% of my books are in audio, but yet audio makes up 50% of my income. Isn't that amazing? Imagining what I could do if everything was in audio is huge. And I realized that the longer I waited to get in audio, the longer process it becomes to get that money. So I think that the excuses I made for myself ended up hurting me in the long run. 
I could have figured out a way to get that money if I had really been committed to the process, but I wasn't committed to the process because I didn't believe in my books. I didn't believe that they would sell an audio. I believed I was only good enough to sell an ebook. And because of that, I completely robbed myself of an opportunity I could have had way earlier in life. So now my process going forward is to be committed to the book and to understand. I want to start getting into audio translations, every opportunity and avenue I have to get this book into the hands of people because I believe in this product and I am good enough to be an audio. Want to get an audio, you can't sit here and make excuses as to why you can't do it because you know I'm somebody with a chronic illness who had very little income and I figured out a way to get into audio against all odds. And if I can do it, you can do it too. That is so amazing. Okay. So now I have to ask you a question. If you've only got 20% of your books so far, what is your strategy then for going forward? Like, do you do you try to get your new books in audio first and then work on a couple of backlist titles or are you working through the backlist first and then getting to the end ones? Like what, what is your strategy right now? I am finishing up my audiobooks in a particular series right now that I need to finish before I go on to any other projects. And then after that, I'm going to be slowly working through my backlist because obviously I can't take every single book in my 50 plus book backlist and just plop it into audio immediately. That's a huge investment. It's $20,000 worth of money, right? Sure. But if you do it one at a time and, and you're like, okay, well, this 40,000 word book is going to be a thousand dollars to put into audio. I can afford a thousand dollars over the next two months. So that's one more product I can have out. And if you keep doing that over and over and over and over, eventually you're going to run out of books to produce. Right. Yes. And all you have is <laughs> Your audiobook income increases with every product, right? So the more you put out, the easier it will be to keep producing, but you can't stop. You have to continually be producing. Otherwise, you are shorting yourself of what you could potentially turn into. I completely agree with that. For me, I was I was having limiting beliefs that were very similar. I got like my first my first series out and I did all of those kind of in a rush in 2018. And then I sat that and did nothing with audiobooks until like 2020 when it, like there was really not a whole lot else to go on. I was working on my new series, but I was feeling this push to do audiobooks. And so since then, every month I've been doing another one of my titles in the back catalog. And so it's just become part of my process. I'm down to, I think, three or four books in the back catalog left. And it's going to be so weird when I have no more audiobooks I need to narrate. <laughs> It'll be like, what? What's happening right now? But it's it's so key to keep going forward and and get up to the point where you know that they merge, because my ideal situation is to get to the point where it's like I write the book and immediately turn into the the translation or to the narration of it, so that they're coming out almost at the same time. That's like in my head my ideal scenario now going forward. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting closer. When you don't have audio out, you're not just shorting yourself, you're shorting your readers too, because there are so many people who cannot physically read, but they can read audiobooks. Or there are people who love to read, they just don't have time. You know, they're single mothers who are taking care of children and doing a million errands at all times of the day. They don't have time to sit down and physically read, but they have time to listen to an audiobook on the way to work or whatever. Yes. So you have to think about the opportunities. You're not just providing yourself, but other people. For sure. I mean, I don't know how many times I've gotten to go pick up my daughter from rehearsal and I've listened to audiobooks to and from, I mean, nonstop all the time. Alicia, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I love that Megan brought up that this is a long game because like I said, initially, the first audiobook I did was in 2016. So what has that been like five years, six years, seven. six years, seven, like, almost, almost seven. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's early. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's taken us a while. Like it doesn't have to take you that long. We spent a lot of time being like, oh, we can't do this. But outside looking into like Megan's experience, I just had this memory like click where I remember her being like, I want to do audio so that I'm a legit author. And I think that's something that maybe held her back because she's like, I'm, I'm not legit enough for this like oh that's really good that's so, so good you're not legit enough <laughs> like you wrote a book you're an author like yep. you can do audio but I, I remember another thing that was holding Megan back is she's like I have so many audio books to do like if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do my whole backlist and she has a lot of books like she said it's almost 50 now 
And she, I think she got kind of analysis paralysis where she's like, well, I don't know which one to do first. So I'm not going to yeah. do any of them. Like, for I don't sure. Know, I, I want Megan to talk again about those two points and how she overcame them. Like, did you pick up, did you put them all up on a dartboard and just like fling a dart to pick which one to start with? What, how did that happen? Honestly, I still get that kind of paralysis because I still have a lot of books that I need to put into audio and it's massive. I think for me going forward, it's more of a case of, I would love to do what's most popular, but what's most popular would be the most expensive to do. And I understand that I have a bunch of different things that I need to be doing because as an author, I'm not just committed to one single series. Because if I was committed to just one single thing, I would be able to throw all the money at it I wanted. I have 50 different things going on. And, you know, like potentially three things that are making me the most amount of money. So I want to try and allocate most of my resources to the things that are making me the most amount of money while then picking what is most cost effective for me to do right now. So I think going forward after I'm done with my big series and audio right now, which I should be within the next couple of months, I will go with what is most cost effective for me to do and not necessarily what is the most popular. So I'll probably start with some trilogies. And then when I get the money back from those trilogies, I will put that into the long series I have because I will have the funds at that point to do them the way that I want to do them. Because I don't just want to do like, a half-ass job, right? I want to do the most effective job I can do with the For money sure. I have. That's a really good and point to, to talk about though. Yeah. Well, if I'd have started this process like two to three years ago, I'd be done by now. Instead, I've, just, I've been sitting around for two to three years just, you know, oh, I don't know. Well, when I don't know is a decision. And when you drag, I don't know out forever. That becomes your decision to not do anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the confused mind does nothing. And so if you're confused about what you want to start with, you're not going to necessarily do anything. And that's why just making a decision sometimes, it doesn't even matter if it's the right decision, it can still get you going forward. And it, if you get partway through it and you go, you know, this wasn't the right decision, but I'm going to follow through to the end. And then and then now I have clarity and move on to the next thing, then it, it at least it got you in that direction. It got you some momentum going forward. That's a that's Maybe really key. Wrong decision. And changing it later is better than not making any decision at all. 100% agree with you on that. Yes, I love that. Because at least when you make the wrong decision, you're going to know this was the wrong decision. You're not going to be sitting there with your hands in the air like, oh, I don't know. I don't and know wrong do. decision is so like, it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? Darn it. Like subjective. There we go. That's the word I'm looking there for. Subjective. Decisions. Yeah, because it's like, it's just like what you're not supposed to do. We've done that so much in our careers. Like we could have a whole podcast about the quote unquote wrong decisions we've made, but we've learned a lesson from all of this. Yes. It's so key. And and those lessons, sometimes that's the lesson you needed to get the clarity you have now to be able to know what you want to do next, to be able to get there and move forward. So if you didn't make those decisions to get the clarity, you'd still be stuck in the, I don't know, you know, (laughs) it's like, just go, just go <laughs> run toward it. Just do something. Yeah. There are so many creative people I know in my life who I get, I get very sad because they fail to make any creative decisions and they fail to progress. And yeah. then they talk to me and they say, Oh, Megan, you're so successful. And I'm like, I'm only successful because I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And we weren't afraid to make those mistakes. You know, I, I think that's so key that you have to, I mean, there's, there's never a, a perfect process. You're never going to make all the right decisions. Sometimes it's just about the contrast. So you can go, yes, no, nope, not that one. That one sucked and turned out horribly. So we're going to go this way, pivot. You know, it's it's all just about that trial and error and having that fun embracing the experience of it instead of focusing so much on the perfection of it because there's it's never going to be perfect. No, perfect is a lie. Yes. It's not something that's possible. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, I completely agree. And then especially in a creative endeavor, like creative people, in my mind, it's like, we're creative because we can see those gray areas, we can see those, those lines when they're blurred, and we can understand how like, that line can be bent and created into what we actually want anyway. And so when creative people lock themselves in boxes, it's like, we'll just unlock the box, you know, like, do, do something else, you know, <laughs> like, there's, there's ways around it engage that creative mind and like really go forward with it because it's just it's so fun to experience even those aspects where you try something and it doesn't work out 
the experience of it still teaches you something and you still grow from it. And it feels better than that moment of like, I just don't know. And I feel like I'm a failure. Well, it's just a byproduct of fear, failing to act. You're just afraid that something is going to happen that you're worried about, but done is better than perfect. I've had, you know, audiobook projects where fans have been like, well, I don't think this was the best narrator for this series. And my response is, I really enjoyed the narration and I would rather have an audiobook out there with a less than perfect narrator than wait forever to hire Ariana Grande. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Yes. (laughs) Because I'm not sure when that's going to (laughs) happen. I love that. (laughs) That is so epic. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you both so much for being here and sharing your experiences with audiobooks. If my listeners wanted to learn more about you, I mean, obviously we've talked about you guys on the other podcast, but if they want to check out your amazing books again or your audiobooks now, what is the best place for them to find each of you? So we have a combined website at hiddenlegendsbooks.com. That is our series that we co-write together. And then for me, I am at alisharadisauthor.com and Megan is at meganlinsky.com. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having us. It was really fun. Okay. So hopefully by this point of the podcast episode, you are now excited and ready to go get your audiobooks up and running, right? Whether you're starting out right now, whether you are just trying to get some momentum in the ones that you've already created, wherever you are, just know that you are exactly where you are meant to be. Every part of this journey, every little piece of the puzzle that fits into place in our indie author journey, in our careers, it's all there for a reason. And so like Alicia talked about, when you feel those internal nudges, when you feel that guidance towards something that maybe it doesn't overly feel like everybody else is doing it this way, like, why am I being led to do this thing? Trust that nudge because that's your internal compass, your internal guidance showing you the path of least resistance. Because each of us have our own strengths, right? Each of us has this aspect of our writing career that we love the most and that it does the best for us, where it feels easy. Now, Alicia talked about how like when she was getting into the ebook side of things, it felt hard. It felt like she was paddling upstream trying to get ebook sales. But as soon as she switched to audiobooks, almost instantly that eased up. Things became easy. And I think each one of us have that path where our books are going to find that easy stream and we just need to allow ourselves to kind of be guided toward it. And if audiobooks feel like that thing for you, I think you should definitely look into the best situations for you. Like, do you want to narrate your own books? Do you have that kind of vocal acting ability? Do you like the way you sound? Do you want to try to do it so that you can get better at how you sound? I know that was where I started. I wasn't sure if I could do audiobooks, but to be honest, I felt like giving it a try. And that's how it starts. Take those imperfect action steps. It does not ever equate to a perfection. It doesn't matter where you are. You're going to always have little flub ups, but you're going to have this fun journey along the way where you learn so much and you grow as an author, as an individual, and as a creator. And that, my friend, I think is the biggest win that we as indie authors can get. Like when we get to dive into something and it's a new part of our creative process and take it on and kind of play in the sand with it, all of a sudden we have this new tool in our toolbox in order to create really cool things. And audiobooks for me is definitely one of those and I hope that they will be for you as well. All right. If you want to get the transcript to today's podcast episode, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 160 and you can download it there. I will also include all of the links when it comes to the last podcast episode we had with Alicia and Megan, as well as all of their websites to be able to find out more about their books and their amazing audiobooks. In the meantime, I hope that you really do think about how you can incorporate audio into your mix when it comes to 2023 and beyond, because it truly is another avenue to not only earn more money, but to also give your story to the readers who would not have had the opportunity to read it otherwise. 
like Megan said, think about those women who are single moms and who are running ragged, but they have time in their car to listen to your audiobook. Think about the people with disabilities who have trouble reading, but they can enjoy your books through audio. That, my friend, that's powerful. And I want you to know that every single reader you are able to touch through your words matters. So find ways to be able to deliver your story in the way that they can best consume it, because that is so key. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Get your words written if that's where you're at in your phase of the journey this week, and go forth and start your author revolution. This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people, Daphne Garrison, Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast's Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality. In order to continue providing the quality content you've come to know and love, I would appreciate your support. As a one-woman show, the podcast takes a lot of time away from other tasks, like writing. (laughs) Plus, your support also makes this mompreneur's heart smile. Head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon.